Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. The party conferences are over and we're now back in the Times Towers in London for the latest opinion podcast. Welcome, my name is Tim Montgomery and today I'm joined by Rachel Sylvester, Matthew Paris and Anne Treneman. Here are our topics for this week. Now that we're having to think seriously about the possibility, at least the possibility, that Britain might vote to leave the EU... I think we need to look past a possible leave vote and ask what then. The British government would have to negotiate terms for departure. Shouldn't those terms be put to the British people, just as the terms that David Cameron is negotiating are going to be put? In other words, wouldn't we have to have a second referendum? I scorned that idea in The Times three or four months ago. I'm coming to the conclusion that we might. What is Jeremy Corbyn playing at? Going on holiday and to Scotland when he should be kissing the Queen's hand and becoming a privy councillor. It seems that we knew he was a Republican, but hey, he actually seems to be a Republican. Will Corbyn, in his own eccentric way, make us grow up as to how we view and report politics? It is a refrain of the left, the SNP and the Corbynistas, that the media is to blame for much. But isn't it true that our coverage of politics is, at times... Trivia incarnate. I wonder if you have this perspective, having left the parliamentary team behind and focusing on theatre. But we'll come on to your topic in a little while, Anne. And um, some people are already weary and it's hardly begun. And I'm, of course, talking about the Leave and the Remain uh, debate. And um, you're worried, actually, that it, or perhaps not worried, advocating that rather than have two campaigns for one campaign for a referendum, we should have two. Yes. I, I, this was originally Dominic Cummings' idea. Dominic Cummings is um, <laughs> fiercely anti-European and involved in the campaign to leave. But he kind of dropped the idea when it became clear that you might get a yes to leaving the European Union and then find that the British public in a referendum on whether they liked the terms of leaving didn't like the terms of leaving and would be left in a limbo. Uh, the limbo is beginning to look attractive to me because the possibility that we might vote to leave um, is now there. I don't think we will, but it's possible. Now, if we do vote to leave, fine, you instruct the government to negotiate terms. It rather depends what terms they negotiate. Maybe the European say, Union say, if you want to keep in this part of the single market, you're going to have to pay us X billion pounds a year for, to, to run the institutions that police the, the single market. Uh, Maybe... May, may 
to cut off, cutting off their noses to spite their faces. They'll say, well, we're, we're going to introduce tariffs against British exports. You don't know what the terms would be. Mm. Until you do, how can the British people know whether we would want to leave on those terms? Do you think it would make it more likely that we'd vote to leave, though? Because in a sense, if you have a second referendum, you have an option to revisit your yes. view. Whereas, of course, it's, it's a final... Judgment. That, that was Mr present. Cummings's reasoning when he first advanced this. He said, he's, he's always very honest, intellectually honest in his reasoning. He said, the main reason I'm advancing this is that people would feel more comfortable to vote to leave because they'd feel this wasn't the last word. It's a question of the sort of balance of risks, isn't it? So at the moment, the risk seems to be all on the leave camp. Mm. So the status quo is we'll stay in, carry on, muddle through, slightly reformed, better version or leave which is seen as the more risky option so I think Dominic Cummings idea was yeah. as Matthew says was to remove the risk which is also why Boris Johnson is quite attracted to this idea I interviewed him just before the summer and he, about this and he said well, the point is with the EU you never get anything you want unless you say no so his point was he was implying perhaps it's a good idea to vote no in order to get a sort of properly better yes, if you like. Oh, yeah, my, head, my head is already uh, beginning. Did to, you said it in to, Greek as well? Yeah, <laughs> beginning to spin. Three referendums. <laughs> and how, how, how many referenda do you want? <laughs> I want one. Just one. And one then, final and unlike, decision. Unlike everyone else, I feel like I've been living the the stay or go as I like to think of it I think leave and remain is just ridiculous <laughs> absolutely ridiculous stay or go I feel like I've been living it for at least five years that's because you've been following Nigel Farage around too much well I've been watching Parliament and listening to it and, but basically it, the argue, and now what we're doing which is we're now getting down into this serious sort of political lint picking as I call it you know just so what if this happens and, and the what ifs and the whole kind of and in the end, most people in the country have very serious sort of feelings one way or the other. And I think that... Do they? Is, is, yes. Those people, I think, I think Matt Ridley in his column in Monday's Times talked about a third feeling very strongly wanting to leave, a third feeling very strongly wanting to remain. And then he, I think he likened it to a Christmas cracker. And in the middle, there's this sort of third that haven't decided. And the whole referendum is about the pull of this cracker and who gets a little bit in the middle at the end of that will determine th who wins this referendum. I don't smell the gunpowder, I must say. <laughs> yeah. I, yes, I... I don't smell it yet, but then again, the thing, the whole question that we learned in Scotland is that um, sometimes it, we don't know what's really going on until it mm. gets, everyone's mind is focused on it, there's an actual campaign going. I mean, Scotland, of course, is a country, will be voting certainly one way. Um, it's England, really, I think, that we all have to look at. But it's also, I think you're right, and that emotional, it's an emotional decision as much as a rational yeah. to how many referendums, which bit of renegotiation is going this way or that way. I think people end up ultimately with a sort of gut feel. Do they want in? Do they I mean, want out? Judging by, you know, this past election, someone is going to come up with a fear factor argument, a very, very frightening, and I suspect it will be George Osborne, <laughs> and it will terrify people. And, you know, that's really kind of what worked in the last yeah. election, was saying, you know, and in the Scottish referendum. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be entering that kind of sphere where... I think both sides will be playing the, the fear card. Do we have any sense yet, Rachel, who's winning? Is there any early sense that in or out or stay or go or leave or remain <laughs> or yes or no uh, are having an edge in the campaign? I don't think so yet. The polls have narrowed, haven't they? So it started with in, stay, remain... 
ahead and it does seem to have narrowed. It's probably a summer of immigration stories, exactly, I think. Exactly. And, the, and we've had the Greek crisis. It hasn't been a good few months no. for the European So those kind of third in the middle of the cracker, if you like, probably more have leaned towards out. And what, but I don't think it's, it's too early, really, to say whether the campaign has had any effect, I would say. One thing that doesn't seem too early to conclude, Matthew Paris, both sides seem to have, in and out, have concluded that David Cameron's renegotiation isn't going anywhere. They've decided to launch their campaigns and not wait for the outcome of what he is able to get from Yes, and I think that countries. suits Downing Street very well. It suits Downing Street very well that we shall all discount in advance anything that he gets. We're all going to say that he, the offer that he gets from our European partners will be virtually insulting. And then when he does, if it's anything better than insulting, we'll say, gosh, he, he really did make a bit of progress. So this suits Downing Street perfectly. Do you think you'll get anything on immigration, though? Because he may get some treating constitutional changes that actually might be quite significant. We don't know. I, I but he will, will he get anything on benefits? Yeah, I think, I think he will on benefits in the end, yes. Because there was a yeah. Sunday Telegraph story that I think Downing Street did discount, but uh, which listed the demands that he had and immigration wasn't one of them you you think they're still trying to get I, I i would suspect that because he's not confident of getting anything on immigration he's he's stopped talking about it but that he that that could be a a, a surprise mm. at the end after all other european countries are getting a little bit worried about immigration themselves too and i think the the idea of a, we'd a pause on benefits <laughs> yes <laughs> the benefits the benefits issue is a tiny factor in the whole immigration question so mm. uh, i think the germans yeah. are also in favor of more controls on benefits yes. but that's totally different to controlling the flow of people and the introduction uh, of the national living wage not is entirely. only going to be a further encouragement for people from romania bulgaria mm. and poorer the nations big, to the come the big one on benefits is tax credits Mm. though and um, if immigrant workers who particularly tend to be unskilled or rather it's the unskilled ones that bother people if immigrant workers cannot themselves get tax credits whereas British workers can that does give British workers a huge advantage in, in getting jobs over immigrant workers how, how many what percentage of people actually do immigrants from the European Union do actually apply for tax credits it's under 20% or something isn't it's it? my, my brother small. has <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, he's from Spain. And, right. um, he, he was amazed at how generous the tax credit system yeah. was. Okay. But it's a tiny less proportion. Ge less generous in the future to everyone, but that's another it's story. It's a very small proportion. People mainly come to work, mm. um, and, that's, and the motivation isn't welfare. And that's going to carry on. Mm. Well, look, I suspect that this opinion podcast will be returning to this topic in the months ahead. But, Anne, we are delighted to have you back round the table. <laughs> We've been missing your parliamentary well, sketches. Just because, I, just because I'm not sketching doesn't mean I'm not interested in politics. And, and, and and, uh, <laughs> I'll always be interested in politics. And, and, and from your elevated position as the Times theatre critic, you're you're suggesting to us that perhaps we aren't treating politics in our coverage as seriously as we might, as not us particularly, but Paul of the Westminster Village generally. I'm sure we've rectified that in this podcast so far today. <laughs> but t tell us what you're getting at and what you wanted us to discuss. Well, I just think that, in my experience, Britain is one of the most eccentric countries in the world. I mean, the people here are tend to be relatively well educated compared to other countries and obviously they have like hobbies and you know I mean I have met people here who really are sort of experts in sort of incredibly arcane subjects so we have that as the population and no one blinks an eye tolerance the tolerance really does continue in basically you know um, people walk by you wearing all sorts of clothes and you just don't blink an eye and um, you know dressing up etc etc anyway so like 
Then we have politicians, and we all want them to be incredibly dull, as far as I can figure out. So Jeremy Corbyn is Republican. We know he's Republican. Why would he be running off to see the Queen at the very first chance he gets? Why would he cancel his walking holiday, which sounded little... I mean, I love walking in Scotland, but he, those pictures did look a bit grim. But So I just think... And then this huge hoo-ha about everything that he does. I mean, I... He hasn't exactly been straight about that, though. When he's been asked about why he missed seeing the Queen, I think the slogan at the Labour Party conference was straight-talking, honest politics. And he, yes, he couldn't no, have been more evasive. You know my view on all of that. Anyone who says straight-talking, honest politics, we're talking evasive <laughs> politics, dishonest politics. And, you cynic. And absolutely. But, mm. and I, but I, I think what's true is that this idea that the media is out to get people is one absolutely promulgated by the SNP and to huge effect in Scotland. I mean, covering the referendum there, I mean, Nick Robinson, unbelievably, was a hate figure, mm. um, which I found ridiculous. But I think the, the, the Corbynistas as well believe that almost everything is our fault. But I actually do think that we, uh, at some point, we just kind of make such a huge deal about stuff that it's just someone being themselves but you I, know I, I think your your gripe really is not with the media it's with the british people i think the british people are interested in a an opposition leader who won't sing the national anthem they are interested in an opposition leader who won't kiss the queen's hand you may think they shouldn't be i think they shouldn't be um, i respect jeremy corbyn's republicanism but uh, people do find it interesting and a lot mm. of people really don't like it and all we're doing as newspapers is responding to the interest that we think our readers okay, have so, for instance david cameron didn't didn't go see the privy council the first time he had i think he probably left it because he's very he is a relaxed kind of guy he left it quite <laughs> a while you know they eventually mm. got over there and did you know so no one reported a word on that that's because he wasn't wanting to send a signal that he's anti-monarchist whereas corbyn does want to send that signal no. You think so? I yes. think he just was going on holiday. I, don't, no. I mean, he strikes me as a person. No, no, he wouldn't no. do it, surely, Anne. The idea that he would bend down and kiss the Queen's hand, that would be something he would hate doing. That's why. Yes, I mean, I'm. The, the problem with it, though, is it's, he wants to have it, his, it both mm. ways. So he wants the message to go out that he's anti monarchy, but yet he doesn't actually say, I am refusing to attend the Privy Council. I am refusing to kiss the Queen's hand. I am, on principle, not singing the national anthem. He's kind of fudges it. So then it looks inauthentic. And I think the problem with the whole thing, I think Matthew's right, you end up, the voters have ended up with this impression that he doesn't quite like the country that he wants to lead. He doesn't sort mm. of, actually most people do rather like the Queen and do mm. sort of approve of the national anthem and they don't feel comfortable with somebody standing for Prime Minister who doesn't want to embrace all of that. I think, well, well, but I think that's a different issue slightly. Mm. I agree with that. But I believe that Ed Miliband would have got a lot further in his bid to become <laughs> Prime Minister if he'd just been himself. If, yes. if he'd just been nerdy Ed, standing on a soapbox, talking to people, ignored all of those relaunched people and all of that analysis and just kind of done it, what I would call a John Major, mm. which is that you he, he stay did, He did give a were. speech once saying that he couldn't ever be the person who was good in photographs, didn't he? And uh, they did try it. I know, but he just he was Partly. completely surrounded by... I mean, he was all of his actions were pre-planned and all of... And it, and it was... Huge Apart from the bacon sandwich, which didn't the bacon sandwich, well. and again, you know, you just sort of think if he'd come out immediately and said, "Oh, this is a PR disaster," immediately, yeah. not a week later, yeah. not two months later, but I think that the British um, people will forgive you almost anything if you can laugh you know, at yourself because we're we're. Step I just think if Boris can, yeah, Corbyn yeah. just would say, mm. "I don't want to be a member of the Privy Council, so we have to figure out a way through this because I 
a Republican, but he won't. And that will be... Um, is, is that Matthew? You were just slightly dismissive. I thought in, a, in the politest way, of course, of uh, Anne's uh, thesis. It's we were just slightly, the British, the British very people. dismissive, very <laughs> the British people rather than the newspapers are to blame. But is that really yes fair? Yes. Don't, 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 don't you think the Times of London, in particular, we should try and be more elevated and, and examine um, what this man is offering the country? I, I think we could do a little do bit both. to nudge the conversation, national conversation in an elevated direction. But don't try too hard or too suddenly or you'll just lose your readers. We, we all write for The Times. We all know very well that if we start writing about something that our readers aren't interested in, they just look away. They just don't So, so, are, so are our readers and the public just being hypocritical? Because it's clear, uh, Anne mentions the SNP example, Jeremy Corbyn, I think, attacked the media six or seven times in his party conference speech. The public clearly likes the media being kicked, but... We're only giving them what the public what the public wants. Yes, the public are hypocrites. The public no. <laughs> well, the public probably feel a little bit guilty about the the, the the rather prurient or trivial things that they're interested in. So they enjoy blaming the newspapers. Mm. And it's not me that thinks these things or wants to read about these things. It's just what's in the newspapers. But then they buy the newspapers, and you notice they buy the newspapers that dwell on these things, and they don't buy the newspapers <laughs> that don't. Although most people, of course, don't buy newspapers anymore. But I take I take your point. Subscribe. Rachel. I think the, the point is, isn't it, also, what's most damaging for a politician, if something trivial taps into something bigger that you feel is sort of a wider truth. So for the Jeremy Corbyn thing, yeah. this Privy Council example which I would say plays into this idea of not liking Britain. Actually, that then plays into his whole economic policy and this sort of slightly roundhead versus cavalier mm. feeling that is slightly disapproving of anyone who wants to go shopping or eat meat or have a drink or have any fun. You, and it's that sort of sense of... So so the, when a tiny, trivial, apparently trivial detail reveals a sort of greater yeah. truth, that's when it chimes. You, you, you've mentioned this twice now, the idea that he doesn't quite love the country. Now that's clearly something David Cameron wants to establish because he actually used I think the words Britain hating to describe Jeremy Corbyn in his party conference speech in Manchester. I found that a I little bit a low, bit, wasn't it? Going, should, should a part, the, you know, the leader of Her Majesty's loyal we've opposition... Been, we've been here before with Ed Miliband's father. Mm. I mean, you know, we've had Britain hating. Mm. I think there's a difference between Britain... But I would agree, I, I'm anticipating there's what you're not, going to yeah, say, actually. I, I, I mean, there's a, quite a difference between Britain hating and Britain not really sure whether... Uh, he yeah, he's sort he of not approving he, almost not, he, sort of he, not approving of modern, modern Britain it's mm. a bit like um, UKIP actually it's a similar thing that it's kind of feeling you want to go back to something different something or an earlier ideal mm. that doesn't really exist or it certainly isn't attainable Jeremy Corbyn loves Britain he just has a different idea of it doesn't he um, Matthew? I don't I can't see into his soul and know whether he loves Britain or not, but he seems a very English sort of character to me. <laughs> I couldn't imagine him in, in any any other country. I think that Cuba, disliking... <coughs> Soviet Russia? No, no. He wouldn't, <laughs> Eastern he, Europe? He wouldn't last very long in any of those places. <laughs> I think that disliking the media and sneering at the media is the last acceptable means of expressing class hatred in Britain. We can't any longer say that we don't like the great unwashed. We can't any longer talk about plebs. We can't any longer talk about the cultural um, philistinism of the working classes or whatever. So what do we do? We talk about the press. We talk about the red tops. We talk about the, the tabloids. We talk about sensationalism. As we talk a proxy. about the Murdoch empire. And it's actually a proxy for disliking 
the great lumpen proletariat of our own people whom we dare not directly criticise any longer. And on that note, wow. that attack on the snobbery <laughs> of the British people will wow. end this <laughs> podcast. And, uh, um, Matthew, Rachel, and thank you very much for joining me today. And I have to say, for my last opinion podcast as well, I'm off to America very soon to cover the politics of Anne's native country. But thank you all for listening. The podcast I'm will sure certainly, you will love it. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, the podcast will certainly continue in the very capable hands of my producer, Dave Maguire. But until... I don't know quite when. Goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.